What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey, it's Jordan with TYT, TYT Politics. Uh, apologies uh, from my not well-lit apartment, but my light is out. Uh, I will be getting it changed today, but this is too important to wait. Uh, I'm here with Anthony Diggs. You're uh, a veteran. You're the CEO of Veteran Stand, which is the group uh, that kind of rallied to bring a whole lot of veterans to Standing Rock. Uh, I know there was issues with that, which we'll get into later, uh, but you became uh, CEO in June, and you and I were going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff, and then this news broke yesterday that uh, Energy Transfer Partners, which is the parent company of Dakota Access Pipeline, Rover Pipeline, Transpecus Pipeline, I, you know, the list is too long. Uh, every infrastructure project you could think of, uh, they are now suing Greenpeace and other environmental groups uh, for being, quote, eco-terrorists and all that. Uh, I did a video on it yesterday. Everybody knows my thoughts. Uh, what's your initial thoughts to this? It makes sense, you know, following the narrative that's come out of the private security firms, the local, state, federal law enforcement agencies who were out there at the time. Uh, when I got detained and ticketed on 1806, the state trooper there said, you guys are eco-terrorists, told me that explicitly. You know, I let him know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, um, you know, war on terror, like it's a ridiculous correlation to be making. It seems to me, you know, obviously it's not reported this way by Reuters or anyone else reporting it, which, by the way, isn't many people. <laughs> it's not on CNN. It's not on MSNBC, New York Times. Obviously, they're not touching this stuff. But... I read it, and it just seems like a blatant, just unfettered greed. You know, you, you, you people cost us millions and millions of dollars in delays and this and that, and, you know, we're going to recoup every last cent. Uh, it also seems to me that, in a way, it's kind of trying to establish a blueprint. I don't really think they actually think they can win, but I think they are trying to further intimidate, uh, you know, water protectors, indigenous folk. And people who want to uh, demonstrate against these these pipelines. What do you think? Yeah, um, if if this if this does go through, it's a frightening precedent being set, uh, where corporations seemingly will have unfettered power to do whatever they want in terms of violating constitutional rights, human rights. Um, so you know, I'm going to follow it closely. We were talking earlier about how Mark Kosowitz is behind this lawsuit, who is also Trump's personal lawyer. So that shows that. He may still, while he might have given up, you know, whatever percentage of that company that he owns still hold an interest uh, without having a direct investment. So I'm going to follow that closely for sure. You know what I think is interesting, and I, I want your take since you were fought for the country. You know, all I've been hearing for the last, like, year is democracy is under attack, you know, uh, Russia and all these things. And, like, I have the fortune or misfortune of going out and seeing that really happening. So like, to me, Standing Rock is, is when democracy is under attack. Uh, when you have the government working with a Blackwater type group to basically rough up demonstrators against the big oil project. Uh, Flint dem democracy is, has left the building. There's emergency managers basically deciding for the citizens, but they weren't elected. I mean, I could go through the list, but you didn't, I'm assuming you didn't fight for the country knowing this was the reality. 
Absolutely not. When I joined the Marine Corps, I was 18 years old, the head full of things that a lot of 18-year-old dudes from Southern California do have. And it wasn't until I actually deployed to Fallujah in 2005 that a lot of these realizations really hit me. Like, I mean, for one, you know, being an African-American male or, you know, brown skin being in Fallujah, seeing that the people outside of uniform that we were more or less fighting against, um, you know, they looked a whole lot more like me than some of the people that I was serving with side by side. Uh, started there, turned into the whole human empathy awareness. And yeah, I mean, I, I definitely didn't sign up uh, with as clear of an understanding of the role that United States plays in the war in terms of uh, imperial uh, empire, essentially. I want to read uh, one part of this lawsuit because to me, I haven't read through the whole thing yet, but to me, this was just batshit crazy. Get your thoughts. Uh, so this is coming from Energy Transfer Partners. Greenpeace's most senior leaders have admitted that their goal is not to present accurate facts, but to, quote, emotionalize issues and thereby, quote, pressure their donor audiences into parting with their money. When caught red handed spreading patently false misinformation, Greenpeace has conceded that to, quote, emotionalize uh, targeted donors and other victims, it uses what it calls internally, quote, alarmist Armageddonist factoids. Now, I think none of that's true, but what, what's really interesting to me is it seems like, you know, the corporate media has been very focused on fake news and Donald Trump's alternative reality, which is very true. But this company, which, again, has been working in concert with our government, is just making up an alternative reality, but the media doesn't call this out. They just kind of report what, that there's a lawsuit and then, like, hands up, moved on. Uh, they're basically saying that Greenpeace, through the facts that they present about climate change, are creating Armageddonist f- fiction. I mean, well, is that not, you know, the definition of fascism when you have the government in control of, 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 of corporate of corporate law, of industry and of all of the information that surrounds what is going down? Um, yeah, uh, I don't I'm not quite sure the case that ETP will have when it comes to them actually being in court and presenting evidence. But uh, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I would like to see ETP shut down as an organization entirely for what they've done, what they've supported, what they've funded so far. And the same for Tiger Swan. We saw the Intercept article. We've actually been given information more than what was included in those Intercept articles. And the information that was being passed from Tiger Swan to these corporations, to the Defense Intelligence Agency, um, to all these other law enforcement agencies, the correlation between the veterans there the indigenous people there, the water protectors who had gathered there, and jihadi terrorists was absolutely laughable. But if we're talking about law and what can be done through law, well, you have the Homeland Security Act, you have the National Defense Act, you have the Patriot Act, which would essentially allow, if, if, if all of a sudden, you know, we're being called terrorists, or they are saying that we have links to terrorist organizations, we have no right to any constitutional law uh, to any due process. Um, So it kind of makes sense, especially with the pipeline that stands to make trillions of dollars over the next 15 years. Uh, Let me move on to veteran stand. So I I, I have to ask about this. I know that you weren't leading the organization uh, when veterans came down to Standing Rock. There was just a lot. I was there. I mean, it was just chaotic. There was a blizzard. There wasn't enough 
um, lodging for veterans, and a lot of things went wrong. I happened to be standing next to Michael Wood for a lot of that, and I think he, from what I saw, kind of got a bad rap. In turn, I know he was trying to uh, get people lodging. I know his bank account was kind of frozen uh, while trying to get the funds that they had raised. Um, so I know that uh, you know a lot of the grief he's gotten was unfair. Uh, I'm not going to get into Wes Clark. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Because I know a lot of people, when they hear Veterans Stand, uh, initially, that it's a great concept, but some people are unclear uh, of what all happened there. Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, you know, before, during, after, and still to this day, we are dealing with our phones being tapped, uh, our email accounts being hacked, my bank account being hacked, which is the exact same thing which was happening to Michael in December when it came to, all right, we have these funds here. How do we put them to use as quickly and most effectively as possible? Um, and, you know, there are lessons to be learned from that mission. I think the first one is that uh, there is a difference between being able to effectively mobilize people and being able to effectively organize them and having nearly 4,000 veterans in a week and a half period of time uh, going out uh, for mobilization didn't necessarily set us up for um, an operation which we could effectively and responsibly carry out before even having to deal with private security firms and government agencies giving us pretty much all of the hell I think they could manage to give us without explicitly doing so. Um, and the other one is that you know, in order for us to effectively and responsibly carry out missions like this in the future, there are things that we have to make sure are taken care of beforehand, like our veterans' mental health needs being being looked after, um, like us between ourselves. You know, it's one thing, sure, you know, solidarity can be gained through an awareness of a shared struggle between us, but it's not enough. So, you know, organization, education, both of those things should come before mass mobilization. And that's what we're working on right now with the infrastructure of our organization so we can carry out similar missions in the future more effectively. And just to wrap this point up, I know that uh, Michael, last time I talked to him, they were still trying uh, to get people their money back and you know rece- uh, reimbursements and things like that. Mm-hmm. Has that process ended or is that still going on? No, the process has actually ended. We finished the last reimbursement a month ago. Okay. Um, and yeah, so we've, you know, reimbursements are done. There are still people here and there that are still hitting us up saying, hey, I spent $80 on gas getting from Prairie Nights to Bismarck and back a few times. Is there any way you guys can help me out with that? And we're trying to take care of those on a case by case basis. But as you know, you know, we went out there with a roster of about 2,000 veterans. We arrived. There were maybe 4,000 there, 2,000 who would come on their own just because they heard veterans were coming. And we took care of a lot of those people as well, even though they weren't rostered veterans. Right. Uh, So tell me, like, going forward, because, you know, if you ask me, and I'm a journalist, so I'm not, like, mobilizing people to come places, but I can name off the top of my head, like, 30 places I've been that could use, like, 20 to 30 deep, strong, right now, uh, veterans who not only... Uh, are there for the right reasons, but know how to uh, you know how to mobilize and know how to take action and galvanize a community. Flint is one of them. East Chicago. I, I was in Alabama. Uh, what are some of the things uh, Veterans Stand, uh, maybe in conjunction with other groups, 
what are some of the causes you guys are looking at, uh, you know, as we get into fall? Our roster right now, uh, our volunteer roster, we have nearly 20,000 veteran names on that. A lot of people hitting us up all the time saying, hey, this is happening in my backyard. This is happening on the East Coast. This is happening in the Midwest. Uh, let's get veterans out here. Let's do something about it. Um, our next big campaign, which is starting in September, is an awareness and an advocacy one for veteran mental health um, so that uh, we can ensure that these needs are being taken care of before mobilizing people in large numbers. In the future, this campaign is actually centered around cannabis and the benefit that it has been proven uh, to show in treating the symptoms of post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury. Um, and this campaign will look like it's an awareness campaign slash outreach campaign, which will turn into us pressuring the head of the VA to allow its physicians to have open, honest conversations about the medicinal benefits of cannabis for post-traumatic stress and tra traumatic brain injury. And then it will culminate in an educational workshop where we're going to bring veterans from cities and states that do not allow access to medical marijuana to come out to California where they can meet with mental health professionals, with educators, and then also have a, a chance to integrate with the medicine itself. Um, you know, being out, you know, we went, I got out of the Marine Corps in 2007. Within a day of speaking with mental health people at the VA, I was given seven prescription drugs, hardcore prescription drugs like Zoloft, Prozac, Ambien. And it wasn't until I started using these medications that the idea of even harming myself uh, crossed my mind. We have 22 veterans that kill themselves every day, nearly 50,000 homeless veterans. Um, you know, the jobless rate amongst veterans keeps going up, going up. And we want to make sure that this is not the reality outside of what is happening in our organization before we try to organize, educate, and mass mobilize veterans in the future. Well, I think why it's also really important is, uh, from my purview, I remember a day in Standing Rock, it was crazy cold, uh, really dangerous to be outside. And I was in the veterans tent doing interviews. And to be frank, it, 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 it was kind of dark and sad uh, speaking with a lot of these veterans through no fault of their own, but the PTSD uh, was mm -hmm. so prevalent and I have never seen that. You know, I didn't go to war. I don't really have friends that served in the army and it was my first time. And I was thinking to myself, like their heart's in the right place, but are they truly capable of being out here and being effective? So I think like that's, that's kind of what you're talking about. Like beyond just mobilization, like, uh, we owe it to these people who served, not only because it's the right thing to do, but if you think about, if we're not getting them the right treatment and we're not getting, uh, whether it's cannabis or whatever else, uh, to deal with their psychological issues, their physical issues, then they can't be productive members of the economy or the country. Absolutely. You know, and that's the goal of our organization is to accommodate this transition from military to civilian life. And then to provide a platform for veterans to continue their service at home. So we want to make sure their mental health needs are taken care of so we can effectively do that. Not every mission that we do is going to be as intense as Standing Rock was. As you know, there were more than 11 law enforcement agencies, police on militarized vehicles, people being shot with rubber bullets, being beaten with batons. Uh, it was an intense situation that resembles war in, you know, pretty much every uh, every way imaginable. 
and bringing veterans back into that environment, uh, yeah, you saw those the, the symptoms of PTSD come out. I saw myself and a lot of those veterans that were exhibiting those symptoms took me the better part of a decade from 2007 until now to get my head in as uh, clear and uh, I would say uh, like normalized uh, state as it is now. Um, it's no joke. War is no joke. We carry those scars for the rest of our lives, um, but there is there is hope, and uh, there is a, a dire need for these these issues to be addressed. Uh, I want to ask you, obviously, like you don't have to give up your your strategy, but uh, I think a real interesting part of that intercept story was the fact that it's not just Standing Rock. Tigerson Tiger Swan has been, you know, spying and infiltrating other um, environmental uh, infrastructure uh, movements and things other than the environmental uh, movements. Um, so you were talking about you guys have been hacked. I, I'm pretty confident I was hacked too. Um, so as you're mobilizing, even for awareness campaigns, how does that go into play knowing that all your communication, uh, it's possible that they, they're like three steps ahead of you? Yeah, absolutely. I think the only thing we can do is just be out and open and keep things as public as we can until it comes time for another mobilization. I'm not too worried about Tiger Swan. I mean, I know what they are capable of and I've seen what they have done, but I also know the type of people who join Tiger. When I got when I got out of the military in 2007, Blackwater offered me $7,000 a month for two years to redeploy to the Middle East as a private security firm. And some of my friends took that offer. Um, and I, I know the type of people uh, that uh, are um, kind of uh, lured into those positions, holding those roles, and I'm not too terribly worried about it. I have I have a lot of faith in the uh, the resilience of the people that we are working with, and it's going to be a headache, absolutely, but it's nothing that I'm too I'm too worried about. And uh, lastly, you know, I can't let you go without talking about Afghanistan, uh, obviously this president doesn't know his head from his ass. Outside of the issues of war, you know, famously said, I know more than the generals. Uh, so he was kind of vague in his, in his speech on Monday. I believe the numbers are around 3,500 to 4,000 troops, but more so than just allotting more troops, uh, it's the money that's going to this. It's oh, yeah. the fact that it's already been shown that they are not primarily in Afghanistan the, yeah, whether it's Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, ISIS, it, it's all over the place now. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on uh, basically, I guess, quadrupling down now on Afghanistan? Yeah. Uh, well, you have the pharmaceutical industry, which has an interest in the opium that is being grown there. Uh, you have an estimate of up to $4 trillion of lithium that is in the mountains there. Um, and it's not just the United States that has an interest in securing these resources, but we have the military uh, to kind of more or less get the job done. This isn't something that should be happening, certainly not at the stake of people's lives in Afghanistan and in the United States as well. And do you wish, uh, I don't know if there already is a mechanism, but you know, in other groups, there's like that big brother, little brother thing. Do you wish there was that? So like, you and, and veterans could speak with incoming people, uh, not really like to talk them out of it, but to, to give them more of like the, this is what it's really about. Because I guarantee you people signing up right now have not a clue about the lithium and the other things that are really at the core of a lot of the reasons we 
and uh, for the first bullets are launched and we stay in the, in these war zones. No, that would be great. Uh, and I do have conversations with friends of mine or friends, younger siblings who are thinking about joining the military. Personally, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't go back in time and not join the Marine Corps. I think it did a lot for my my growth. But uh, morally, knowing what I know now, I would not sign up again and, and participate uh in any other foreign campaign for the sake of american empire no way um and yeah i, I think you're right you know it's, it's not bad people joining the military it is misinformed people and the recruitment process is uh you know the, the coercion that happens there oh do you want to be a greater leader do you want to see the world we'll pay for your college so they end up they end up getting people to fill those roles and it's sad so where can people find out more about Veterans Stand, the cannabis campaign, all, all that? Uh, Veterans-stand.org. We will have all the information on the campaign up there. Um, and just our social media channels. We'll keep updating everybody. Cool beans. I, I enjoyed talking to you uh, at Standing Rock. I enjoyed talking to you now. And uh, keep in touch on, on what you're working on. Sounds great. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, man. Take care.